All righty, friends, we've come to our time of worshiping God through, through the word. This is truth. Amen? Amen. We cannot know the truth about ourselves, about this life, and about who created us, our origins and our purpose, without the revelation of God himself. We need the truth. And that's why we rely on this and open this every week and hopefully every day. We're walking through a sermon series through the book of Jonah. Through the book of Jonah, Jonah's a prophet, uh, a servant of God to speak God's truth to God's people. We're going to be, uh, in Jonah chapter 2 is going to be the focus, but we're actually going to read chapters 1 and 2 this morning just to bring us up to speed because the context is so important. So if you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, you can go ahead and open those uh, if you do have a Bible or a Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, we have these underneath the chairs in front of you. We also have them in Spanish there. Um, and these Bibles here are on page 526. Uh, you may have to take out a magnifying glass, but uh, um, uh, page 526 here in the... Uh, the Bible under your pew there. Uh, so who knows what, uh, what big event we're celebrating on October 31st? Who knows? You got any kids? Henry. Halloween. Whoa. You know, it was a trick question. It's not Halloween. Julie. Reformation Day. Did any of you guys know it's Reformation Day? Right? We don't know everybody celebrate that and post it on their Facebook page and Instagram. Reformation Day. And some of you are like, what are we talking about? What kind of weirdness is it? Welcome to Grace Community. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Reformation Day. 500 years ago, in 1517, there was a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther. And on that day, on October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago, he nailed something to the wall called these 95 theses. It's just these 95 conclusions from God's word that were revolutionary at that time. Absolutely changed, not just what God was doing in churches, but changed the Western world. It changed God's movement everywhere. We wouldn't be Martin Luther 500 years ago. But this story of Martin Luther posting, the, the, it's like going on Facebook and Instagram, and he made this just absolutely controversial post about this is what the God's word says and what the church is doing and what, what the governments are doing are all wrong. This lit up Europe. Thousands of shares and stuff like that. Before this happened... Martin Luther was just an incredibly intelligent guy. He was set to become a lawyer. And while he was traveling one day, it was during a rainstorm. He got struck by lightning. Talk about a bad day. And while he was in the shock and, and recovery. God, he was allowed to live. He had one of those moments of like, some of you have had maybe some near-death experiences, and, 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 and it's this common response of like, Lord, you let me live. I'm going to give you whatever. I'm gonna, we make promises of commitment and things like that during these times where we feel like God's given us a second chance. I'm obligated to do something. And he says, God, you let me live. I'm going to become a monk. I'm going to become a monk. His trajectory of success in law and politics, give it all up. His parents were angry. 
They were upset. All that college tuition they'd been paying for him to be successful and then be able to take care of them for retirement. Now he's going to become a monk and be poor. What are we going to do? I'm not sure that conversation actually happened, but I can imagine, you know. (laughs) Martin Luther becomes a monk, becomes a priest. Out of this sense of like, if I do this, God's going to honor this. And, 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 and I've been given this second chance. And, and Martin begins his, this, this, this ministry and this service. And he's trying to do everything he can to be the best priest, the best uh, monk. And he's, he's sacrificing and, and, and he's learning the word of God and communicating it. And he's, 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 he, he, he committed to a life of poverty and, 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 and going to confession and doing all these right things to have this clean and perfect life. And, and you know what? He was empty. He was was plagued daily by the sense of it's not enough. His guilt continued to eat at his mind every day. The the confession's not enough. The good works, it's not enough. All the spiritual things I do, it's not enough. And he was angry because he saw God as this judge up there waiting like, is he going to measure up? Is, he, is this comic, cosmic cop? Is he, is he doing, doing things wrong today? And, and, and he was burdened and overwhelmed with guilt at all. And he hated God. He hated God. And yet he felt obligated to love him. Martin Luther. What changed Martin Luther was an encounter with God's undeserving gift. When he finally was struck by a different form of lightning, do. That it's not about what you do, Martin. It's about what I've done for you. You will never do enough. You will never be good enough. It will never be enough. I'm enough. At the cost of my son, I love you. And you are my son. Not because of what you do, but because of what I've done for you. Grace. The encounter of grace is what changed Martin Luther and what has rippled through centuries, even to today. And it's the message we hear today as God pursued Jonah. God pursues us, each one of you. And, he, and, 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 and he's pursuing you right now as you're sitting here listening, whether in this room or online, God is pursuing you With his grace, his undeserved love and kindness and forgiveness. With that said, turn with me to Jonah, chapters 1 through 2. And I I can already tell here, friends, we might be a little bit long this morning. Bear with me. Pray for the Lord to give me brevity. (laughs) I love the whistle out there. Thanks, Andy Hessman. I'm calling you out. All right, here we go. Jonah, chapter, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. 
but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him. He said, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call on your God. Maybe maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots, like rolling dice. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from, and what is your country, and what are the people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, what have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them, So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up, throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is back, that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with his innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the hearts of the seas, The current overcame me. All your breakers and the billows swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit. Lord, my God, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray, friends. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to open our hearts. Lord, to learn from Jonah and, and, and to what you, what you did and, and how you, you revealed yourself and encountered Jonah. Lord Jesus, we need that encounter today. And, and Lord God, we need our hearts and our minds open to how you are already pursuing us even now. 
to get our attention, to draw us back to you, to, to awaken our souls just like you did Jonah. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to receive your work. And Holy Spirit, come on me, your sinful, broken servant, to, to communicate your word, Lord Jesus. And let me be changed because of this truth, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As we begin here, as you've heard in the reading of the story of Jonah here, God gave Jonah an instruction. And Jonah, in response, he's a prophet of God. He's God's servant. He knows he gives correction and, and, and confrontation and rebuke to all of God's people. And he knows what happens if people don't obey God. He's given an instruction to take God's news of repentance to the nation of Nineveh, to, 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 to the town of Nineveh, the nation of Assyria. It's like going to Hamas, like Israelites going to Hamas to take the, the good news of the gospel there. And Jonah says, heck no. He completely, in, in full rebellion, disobeys God. And what does it say here? He flees the presence of God. In complete rebellion. This is equivalent, friends. You just think of the dishonor, the, the offensiveness of what, what Jonah is doing is, is giving God the middle finger. You think of how offensive that is, that gesture. Like, I know who you are, and I don't care. I'm doing my way. Absolutely rebellious in God's face. Disobedience, defiance. And he runs from God. At least he tries. He thinks. You know how it is when we are struggling with sin or we've got, when we get distance from God or oh, uh, we have this sense of like making God kind of small. Like Jonah runs away. He's, the dude is a teacher of the truths of God. He runs away thinking he can get away from God and, 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 and his presence. Can you get away from God? No, he's everywhere. And you think of the ways that we do this of like, you know, when, when we're struggling with something, we kind of hide, right? We might even close the door to our room and we're like, God can't see me in here. God, God can't hear what I'm saying if I whisper. Like we reduce God into this, this, this small human kind of form that somehow we, we, we can get away from and avoid God's presence when we're in sin, our hearts get hard, right? Like Jonah's here. His heart was so hard as we see here. God's trying to intervene in his life to rattle his cage, to wake him up. And Jonah's heart is hard. The Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea. The Lord brings the people who are anxiously responding to the chaos of the life there and to wake him up. How can you sleep in this time? You just see the hardness, just the callous in his soul. He doesn't, he doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about anything. You know, when we begin to let sin into our lives and our hearts, whatever it may be, whether it's lies or pride or, or some kind of sexual lust, or, uh, or whether it's greed, when we begin to let things into our hearts and our life, we begin to get hard and numb to God. And we don't care about what he says, but then we start to not care about others, right? Have you noticed that? Jonah deserves God's wrath. He deserves God's judgment. He's openly rebellious against him. And God, pursuing him, 
through these physical circumstances, he's trying to get his attention. Not to kill, not to destroy Jonah, but to change him. We see the intention of God in this pasture, in this passage as, as he's trying to get Jonah's attention. The storm, the sailors, the fish who swallows him up. All these different things, the, the lots and how they roll the dice to find out who's got the problem. You know how random that is? How many people are on the ship and how, how, how many kind of dice they had to roll? The, the statistical odds of Jonah being selected are incredibly small. But it was God who was working in his power and his sovereignty to get Jonah's attention. To rattle his cage. He's rocking his boat. To show him, though, his grace, not his judgment. Have you you noticed that in your own life? There are things and events that have come up in your life. You know how hindsight's 2020, right? We look back and we can finally see there's meaning in things, and there's things that have happened in our lives that God has used to rattle our cage. He's used to rock your boat, to get your attention, because he's trying to draw you back to him whether it's of some specific kind of sin in your life or just because he's wanting to produce his heart in you. And Isaiah, Isaiah captures this truth of of God's sovereign work in all things. He says, I declare the end from the beginning, from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place, I will do all my will. I call a bird of prey from the east, a man of my purpose from a far country. Yes, I have spoken, so I will also bring it about. I have planned it. I will also do it. This can sound kind of scary, right? If God is this powerful, what are the limits to this? What is his control? What is very clear that we can easily fall into the trap is that somehow God, because he's powerful over all things, that he's also the author of evil. And injustice, that that is not come from God. There is another enemy at work. And there is sin in this world that produces these things. But God, your God, who created you, is powerful enough to take even the forces of evil and the intentions of evil in this world and to use it for good, for your good. In Jonah's case, it was directly related to his sin. But you know what? Who else was impacted by this? The sailors. Now, they were pagans. They were followers of God. But the intervention of God wasn't because of their lifestyle or their behavior. It was Jonas. We get impacted because in our lives because of what God is doing in the world to reach and, and, and to pursue other people. We get impacted because God is efficient. God is redemptive. He wastes nothing. In trying to get Jonah's attention, he also reaches these pagans, these unbelievers, with the good news of who he is and what happens to them. They're saved. He draws them to himself. God may be rocking your boat in various ways, whether it's through sickness, through accidents. It can even be through blessing. Unexpected blessing 
to rock your boat and rattle your cage to say, I'm here, I see you, I'm working. It may be through different conflict, God putting annoying people in your lives. Whoa. Take them away, Jesus. Failure, financial difficulty, success, different kind of to get your attention out of love. The author of Hebrews explains this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons or daughters. For what son or daughter is there that a father does not discipline? Now, there's two different things here. When he talks about punishment is a direct result of he's trying to address sin in our lives. But discipline, we have oftentimes misunderstood the whole concept of discipline, that it happens because we've done something wrong. If we are good parents, if we're good leaders or teachers, we understand that discipline is necessary, not because people have done things wrong, but in order to grow. Discipline exists, it means to teach, because we live in a world where we're all broken. We all need to grow. We all need to learn. Discipline means means to teach. You see, the grace of God in this is that, friends, our need to grow isn't a threat to your identity, isn't a threat to your sense of value or worth. It's reality. We all need to grow. We all need to be changed. And God working in our lives, God's discipline is because he loves us. He's not going to leave us in our sin and our brokenness. That's neglect, abandonment, a form of abuse. When we do not discipline our children, same thing for God, for him to not teach and pursue us to change us. For our good. Whether that's, it might be self-sufficiency. Your sense of, I got this, God. I've got this. One One of the deepest and most elusive and seductive sins that infects our hearts. I don't need you. As Jonah was saying, I don't want you. Isn't it true too often that we're like, God, you exist in times of weakness. Although we might say with our mouths that, that God isn't this psychological crutch like Nietzsche would, would uh, uh, aspire and try to accuse Christianity of being some just projection and creation of humanity. No, no, no. But we live that way. Like God, God is only there when I, need, when I need him. What we mean by that is when, when the poop hits the fan, right? When, when, when the trouble is coming, when, 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 I'm, when I'm absolutely helpless, then I need God. Oh, my kids need God because they're weak and vulnerable. So I bring my kids to church for them to hear God. But I don't need him. You know, our kids are smart and they see that, right? They know when it's this faith thing and relationship with Jesus thing is real or not. 
We have this sense of self-sufficiency. I'm good. I don't need you until things are really bad. Pride. Prejudice towards others. Greed and money. Sex. I'm going I'm to live and, and experience your, your good thing of sex, but I'm going to do it my way. When I want, how I want. Comfort and control. Bitterness. I'm not going to forgive. They need to be punished. Selfishness. God, God, God wants to free us from these things, friends. He, he doesn't pursue us to harm us. He pursues us to heal us. I'm going to butcher his name. But the poet who wrote about the hound of heaven, Francis Smith, I believe is his name, the, the, the gentleman wrote about the character of God, how God is like this, this dog who, who, who pursues us, who loves us. He paws at the ground. He's, he's like a dog that is ready to be unchained, unleashed. He's got the scent of, 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 of our need for grace and mercy, and he's pursuing us, and there's nothing that's going to hold him back. And Francis knew this personally because he was an addict and he kept going back over and over and over to the drug, to the alcohol, to the pills, to medicate his pain. And he kept going back, but God didn't stop loving him. He didn't stop pursuing him. And he used all circumstances to get him and show him, I want you. I'm going to free you. I love you. How is God pursuing you? It may be in subtle ways. It may not be dramatic like Martin Luther or Jonah. Francis, how is God pursuing you? To show you his love. To set you free. To heal you. To make you more. To be loving, kind, and patient. Generous, good, gentle, faithful, that self-control, to live in the power of the Spirit. How is God pursuing you? What is he trying to produce in you? He's saying, I've got more for you. Trust me. It's good. Trust me. Jonah had this rock-bottom moment, as, as, as Ryan mentioned last week. They threw him overboard. But the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow him up. Jonah knows he encounters God's mercy and grace that he doesn't deserve. He's literally swallowed up by God's grace. Now, I'm not going to spend much time trying to defend the factuality of Jonah being swallowed by a fish and how this can actually happen the author spends very little time on this whole issue of the big fish and Jonah being swallowed by it. Jesus references it as a historical event. If you have a problem with miracles, let's have a conversation afterwards. But if we believe in a God who raised his son from the dead, then he is also a God who can somehow cause a big fish to swallow a man and he can stay alive. Jonah, swallowed by the fish. Somehow in there, I can't even imagine. You imagine all the 
gunk and yuck and nastiness that's inside this fish. Can you imagine the smell? What's going? I, I don't like the smell of dead fish outside of a fish. Can you imagine what it's like being inside this fish? And, 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 and somehow, you know, he's got oxygen and, and he knows, I don't know how, what's going on here, but I'm alive. I should be dead right now. I should be physically dead because I'm in the sea and I'm drowning. I should be dead, but also I deserve God's judgment. I know what I've done against God. I deserve his judgment. I should be dead. And he's not. And so you can imagine, even in the dank, yucky, gross, slimy, disgusting, vomit-inducing innards of a fish, he starts singing a worship song. I mean, he makes his own. He explains his own story of, of brokenness. I've called out to the Lord in my distress. Out of the belly, what a play on words, out of the belly of Sheol. Meaning, this word Sheol is this, this sense of this is the place that people, when they die, was this holding place until they, they go to hell. He knew what kind of judgment he deserved. And he knew God's sovereignty in the situation he was working. You cast me into the deep. And look how he describes his, his, his not just his physical situation, but he's describing his, what's happened inside of him. Then you, I said, I'm driven away from your sight. You know how we feel when we finally get it, when we're convicted by our sin, just like Martin Luther was. And we get this sense of rejection. We get this sense of when we see ourselves for what we actually are and our struggle and our brokenness, Satan's right there and he uses what's called shame. Shame is this profound power that is at work in, around so many of us and that shame turns our eyes on ourselves and looks at, it says, look at you, you're a failure, you suck, you're worthless. How could God love you? See what, what how, how could God love a person who does something like that? And you did it again and again. Look, there's, He's rejecting you. No one can love you. Shame enters the picture. I'm driven away from your sight. Maybe you're right there right now. And you feel that sense, that shame just continues to hold you. And, 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 and like a hamster on a wheel just cycles through your mind or gnaws at your soul. You're never enough. I know what you've done. Others may not know, but I know. God will never accept you. Martin Luther, his attempt to, to medicate that was, I'm going to be religious. I'm going to, go to I'm going to become a monk, a priest. Like, hey, God's got to love that, right? And then I'm going to go like well above and beyond. He prayed more than others prayed. He was fasting. I mean, the dude was like skinny and, and, and life of poverty. I'm going to reject having, having any kind of creature. Come. Like, God's got to love that, right? Yet his soul was still infected with shame. He couldn't get away. Nothing was enough. He describes further, the waters close over me. They take over my life. The deep surrounds me. You get the sense of bondage, right? 
You see, when we're in this place where we have not encountered the grace of Jesus and we're trying to fix ourselves, we find that even our efforts to fix ourselves leave us stuck and we go through this merry-go-round and we're going in a circle. We see the same places over and over. We get a little bit of relief and then we end up at the bottom again, struggling, failing. We can't get out. And then the shame is right there again, right? Look at you. You failed again feeling powerless and helpless. What was his response? Rather than him looking to himself, trying to fix himself, trying to heal himself and change himself and and make himself good enough for God, he knew he couldn't. He's in a fish. What can you do inside of a fish? He responds. He responds. He knows it was God's mercy that, that, that caused him to be saved. He knows it. And, and, he, and, and he turns and, and, and he reaches for God. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you. You know what? You need to hear every prayer. God is hears you. Your prayers in the in pain, your prayers in the darkness, your prayers in isolation, and you feel alone and numb. God always hears you. And he's working. It may not be so immediately obvious that he's working. It may not be even physically tangible. But as we've talked about earlier, we can see in hindsight, we see God was present in our pain. God was present in, 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 in the hardship and the trials. God, God was working to draw me. God was with me. God was bearing my pain and my suffering. I was never alone. He heard me. God, you, some of you need to be affirmed. You've been praying. and You've not been seeing results immediately. He's listening. He's heard you and he's working right now. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Think of the song. The song. Some of you may know this. If you've grown up in the church, it's a popular hymn. What wondrous love is this? When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, O my soul, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. What, what, what this hymn is speaking of is the truth that while we are in our brokenness, in our mess, our filth, our need to be healed, our rebellion against God. God didn't wait for you to clean yourself up, to be good enough, to be righteous enough, to be churchy enough. He didn't wait for that. It's in the midst of your brokenness that he pursued you and died for you. Grace is always costly. And Jesus initiated and took it on himself. When you and I are sinking down, We're numb, we're broken, we're calloused, we're in rebellion. He died and he continues to bear for eternity the cross. His body will always bear the marks in his hands and his feet and his side. 
for you. Our sin deserves justice. God is a just God. Grace is costly for all the givers. And it cost God his son. But we see this grace. This, this is what changes things. This is what changed Jonah. He ends with, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. This man goes from pride of, I'm going to have it my way. I'm running away from God to praise. You are God. You are worthy. Thank you. He goes from a rebellion to rejoicing. What has changed things? It's an encounter with the grace of God. Martin Luther strove and he fought and he sacrificed so much to appease God and he couldn't. And everything changed when he encountered and he surrendered and he realized, I don't, I can't, I will never be able to please God. I don't have to. Jesus did it for me. God gave me this undeserved gift of welcome, of salvation, in spite of me. He has done it all. Paul explains this, this phenomenon. Excuse me. Let me finish here with Martin Luther. Martin Luther uh, explains his testimony in, in, a, in a poem here that I think is really, really encouraging. In devil's dungeon chained I lay. The pangs of death swept o'er me. My sin devoured me night and day and in which my mother bore me. My anguish ever grew more rife. I took no pleasure in my life and sin had made me crazy. Some of you relate to that. Then was the father troubled sore to see me ever languish. The everlasting pity swore to save me from my anguish. He turned to me his father's heart and chose himself a bitter part. His dearest son, it cost him. This revolution that happened in Martin Luther, him nailing this 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 what was called the 95 Theses and, and changing not just not just the 1500s, but 500 years later, history, what we experience now, the ripple effects of a revolution was because of his encounter of finding God, Jesus paid it all. God's pursuing of me isn't because he's angry and he wants to judge me. God is good and he loves me. He wants to free me. It was grace that changed him. You see, there's something so dramatically different, friends, from when we go from, if I do enough, God, then you'll love me, to I am loved, ridiculously loved, more than I deserve, at infinite expense to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I want to obey. Do do, do you hear the difference? There's something radical when we have encountered, I don't deserve it. He's so good. He's so, so good to me. I want to give. I want to be free. I want to love others. In Jonah's case, 
I'll tell these terrorists, these murderous people about the hope of salvation through the one true God. He was changed because he had encountered grace. You and I can't change ourselves. You and I can't make ourselves right with God. He, he can and he will do it. Will you depend on him? Not because you're, but because he's your king. He's your God. Because he loves you. The reason why grace is a fundamental worldview shift is it's a response to being full rather than living on empty, trying and striving to get filled up and satisfied. There's a song that we sing many times that captures Jesus' heart for us, his pursuit of you, called Reckless Love. The lyrics are so encouraging. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. When I was your foe, you still fought for me. Still, your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. Today, friends, let him catch you. Receive his kindness. Receive his love and his goodness and respond. Martin Luther has a quote, closing quote. I want to share. The grace of God is a very great, strong, mighty, and active thing. It does not lie asleep in the soul. Grace hears. Grace leads. Grace drives. Draws, changes, works all in man and lets itself be distinctly felt and experienced. It is hidden, but its works are evident. Let's get caught by grace today. Amen? Amen. As we conclude, we might take a picture of this slide here. Things to reflect on and process in response how are you numbing yourself to God's presence and grace to save you, to set you free and to change you? How are you resisting God's grace by trying to save yourself and change yourself? How will you stop running and receive today? Man, will the worship team come on forward? Holy Spirit, thank you for pursuing us unrelentingly, Lord, the hound of heaven. Even in rebellion, even when we shake our fists, even when we stiff arm you, even when, Lord, we reject you, you don't let up because you love us. Your kindness to us, the cost of it to Jesus. Lord, let us Let the shame melt away as your blood washes us and makes us white as snow, like the snow we see outside. That you don't see our sin, that you see your son in us. And you call us sons and daughters. You You don't linger 
in anger waiting to punish us. No, you punished your son for us. Lord, help us to stop. Stop our striving. Stop our running. Stop. Stop looking at ourself and receive. Look to you. Let you catch us in your love. Let us trust you that you are good when you take these things from us. You take the greed. You take the, 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 the love. You take all the possessions, Lord God, the things that we trust, the drugs, Lord, you, you are good and you will heal and you will give us better things. Lord, we come now. In your name we pray. Amen.